Hey everyone, welcome to episode 95 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Um, I got some bad news, dude. Yeah, I mean, we're in a pretty messed up situation here, I gotta say. Okay. So two weeks ago, we go to SCG Richmond. Yeah, yeah. Um... You get second in the Open. Yeah, I did. I go play the Modern Classic. Yeah, yeah. I get second in the Classic. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then neither of us went to Syracuse this weekend. Uh-huh, right. And instead our roommates <laughs> went to Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. You know we had to do it to you. <laughs> they just... And these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> you know we had to do it to you. Uh, yeah, as soon as they learned that Lotus Boxers, Jeremy Bertarioni... And Zan said, "We're gonna go to the Syracuse tournament." We were like, "Oh, we got something for our roommates. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna do what they did, but we gotta bring home the hardware. Yeah, we gotta one up them." Yeah. So what ended up happening is, of course, anybody who was watching knows this. Zan won the open with a pretty perfect build of Just Guy Planeswalkers. It was very nice. And then Jeremy simultaneously won the Modern Classic with a pretty perfect build of blue-white control. <laughs> Finished up our top eight finals within the same ten minutes and <laughs> got our picture taken, took everything they had to offer, and walked out of there. And then drove home for like 18 hours. Yes. Long it takes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, I, I was actually leaving for work Monday morning, and I leave it like... 7 a.m. and as I am walking to my car, the car pulls up and they're like CCR. And then they show me their trophies and then I go to work. <laughs> Classic. We were somewhat tired. Makes sense. Yeah, we left Syracuse, New York, at a crisp 9 p.m. and we arrived home. Obviously, Gary. Exactly 7 a.m. Yeah, that's when I leave. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was that was our weekend. We had an awesome time. We brought home the stuff, and now we get to be on the grindcast, which always a dream, always a pleasure of mine. Yeah, same. <laughs> we couldn't have uh, written it up better. Pretty good weekend. So I think probably the thing that most people are interested in are you know you guys won these tournaments with pretty innovative decks using a lot of War of the Spark cards, at least relative to the format size. Um, so probably we can start with the standard deck. I would love to just kind of get your impressions of the standard format, what led to the creation of the deck, what led to the specific card choices that you made. And I guess we should just sort of talk about the the composition of the list itself. Yeah, so I definitely didn't come up with the core of the deck that started with Zach Elsick and Ben Reagan mm-hmm. with the blue-white walkers, which eventually kept um, getting better and was kind of revolutionized by Lee McLeod, who's part of our group, with the Jeskai version by adding Shocks. I think John Rolfe had like that first Jeskai list, but yeah, the Shocks were definitely a... Uh, yeah. I remember Lee thing. messaging me and being like, is Lightning Strike good or is Shock better? And I was like, Shock yeah. blows people out, right? I remember right? Lee was like, I made this Jeskai deck and then Rolfe came out with it. And <laughs> okay. so, well, All I right. don't know who really to credit, but one of those guys, I like to credit Lee because he's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've worked with him in the past. Um, I don't really know Rolfe, but yeah, I'm sure he's cool. So basically yeah. what it is, is taking that blue-white prison deck and then adding in Sarkin so you can actually kill your opponent. No, definitely. The Sarkin was the closer that the deck was looking for. Mm-hmm. It was just... Pretty incredible. It can make a planeswalker that's out of abilities have abilities. 
Well, it'll just become a 4-4 dragon for a minute. I mean, that's, that's, that's an ability, that's an ability. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but the, the main thing that was differentiated from all of those were when the MTG Goldfish list came out like Thursday night. Mm-hmm. And I was standing, I mean, building right next to you. And I had the realization that Sahili can be played if it's accompanied by Ops mm-hmm. and Mox Amber. And even then, I felt a little weak. The card that pushed Sahili over the top was Karn. Uh, being able to make construct tokens that you can copy just sealed the deal. You would you, in, the deck essentially became a combo deck, mm-hmm. just a incredible deck. I don't even like. There's been super friends in the past, but these planes we have the most three mana planeswalkers we've ever had, and it's uh, trying to figure out what's the best combination of them has just been. Absolutely yeah amazing yeah last week on the cast we were talking and i was saying everybody wants to cut dovin from the deck but i don't think that that's right but that clearly yeah. no dovins in this deck um but i think you made up for it with a lot more early removal with yeah. the definite clarions and that sort of thing definite clarion was definitely the best board wipe for the weekend i mean red white very prevalent decks i played against them i think twice each mm-hmm. and um i mean obviously red put up fantastic results Thanks to Collins. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Jeskai Planeswalkers had all the tools to beat the aggro decks and still could keep up with the mid-range discard decks, even though they had the Jeskai Planeswalker deck killer, so-called Elder Spell. <laughs> um, they didn't really kill me that often. Well, yeah. So talk about your strategy for playing against Elder Spell decks, because it looked... Like you beat a lot of elder spells this weekend. Oh yeah, I had had a hundred percent win rate against elder spells, <laughs> and that was mainly because I disciplined myself when playing these planeswalkers to always just take down, play Karn minus, play. Uh, well, you don't have, really have a choice with oh, it's the you, really have, uh, you don't have really have a choice with the narsets, but um, some like uh, interesting decision was uh, my opponent once had a Teferi, and I was like. I can kill this two ways. I can play the Sarkin plus and attack it with the two planeswalk- other planeswalkers that I have. Or I can make a dragon and then minus my Sahili on a token that I already have to kill it. So there are two ways to kill the Teferi. One required more loyalty than the other, but one was clearly the way that I still had a board after an Elder spell. Mm-hmm. So you just had to consciously make those decisions and if when you did even if you got like two tokens out of it those would add up and become something large so so mostly it's about diversifying your threats on board so they can't use just one card to get rid of all the stuff you're doing exactly um and look like legion war boss was a huge part of that plan too yeah uh we call it the secret planeswalker (laughs) (laughs) it's a super friend yeah honorary yeah he's just great uh, he comes down, kills Narset. He comes down, kills Teferi. He comes down, can't be countered by Dovin's Veto. And that's a really important part of this meta right now. Yeah, Dovin's Veto... Huge. Is, ...is pretty unreal. It's kind of the only counterspell that's, like, seeing play at the moment, really. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy had... Uh, so on the way back home, that. we were trying to sort of make this control deck that I did really well with a little better... And we were saying, like, okay, what if we make it blue-black? And I instantly ended that conversation. I said, you lose Veto. Veto has become, like, sort of the end of every conversation in terms of these spell-based matchups. Mm-hmm. It's such an important card. We're going to talk about it probably a lot more when we get to modern and we talk about its modern implications. But honestly, 
of all the cards in War of the Spark, the one that makes sense to me the least is the one that started with the conversation, isn't Negate a little bit too weak? And they decided to make it uncounterable. I really have no idea how that happened. This card that's a four of in every blue sideboard is standard and sees main deck play in modern and... Yeah. Yeah, and they were like, well... Nah, it's clearly the problem is that people can counter it. Despite the fact that it's like the sort of the cornerstone of that type of magic. It is the counter war sort of mana leverage, you know what I mean? And now it's just the end. So, you know, so many times in Modern, again, we'll talk about it more. People were just like, they finally would hit their seventh land, probably have Dispel and a counter spell up, and they'd be like, Jace. And I'd be like, oh, they haven't veto it. And they were like, what? <laughs> what? So, yeah. And as sort of an unofficial hype man for Xan, he's underselling how bad the Elder Spell is. I would be watching his match, and his, like, Esper control opponent or whatever would be staring down two servos, two Karn constructs that were just 5 fives because of a Mox Amber or whatever, and then, like, a Sarkhan Dragon, and they would draw the Elder Spell and be like, well, now I'll kill all your planeswalkers. And Zam was always just like, okay, so? You know, like, <laughs> who cares about that? It doesn't matter at all. So sometimes Jeskai planeswalkers could secretly be a creature deck, which essentially, you know, imagine you're playing against a mid-range creature deck and you draw the Elder Spell. Not good. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, the glue to all of this was definitely Narset. I mean, it's a dick, dick to the time on a planeswalker. It allows you to set up board states where even though even when my hand was I didn't have the tokens I didn't have the right planeswalkers to create those tokens or I had like a four four dragon they were able to kill it at the end of turn untap elder spell everything. Narset allowed me to set up hands where I was just like all right untap play three planeswalkers go and they'd be like well I need another one. <laughs> it just it just really easy to set up. All right, so that that brings us to our keeper mold this week. Um, which I guess we could have done earlier, but that's a perfect segue to it. So you mulligan once, you six card hand, you're on the play in unknown matchup, game one. So you see Clifftop Retreat, Steam Vents, Glacial Fortress, Interplanar Beacon, Interplanar Beacon, and a Narset. What do you think about this hand? 100% keep. Just a snap keep. Yeah, not close. It's like, the card's ridiculous. <laughs> Five lands Narset. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have the beacon that's going to gain you two life, and your Narset's probably going to find you another Planeswalker if the matchup is slow. And if it's fast, they'll find you the Clarion. So it's going to end up saving you, let's say, five life. Mm-hmm. And play a Clarion, you're just winning this game. Yeah, Clarion sounds like it was another really big element to this Jeskai deck. It's huge. It just made a lot of sense. When you have dragons that are all 4-4s and your Planeswalkers are all 4-4s, you get to wipe their board and give your creatures lifelink. That's the lifelink play against mono red is is pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all these dragons <laughs> they gain life. <laughs> well, and that's that's a really cool thing too because the way that the Esper decks play out or the the straight blue white versions, you know, you're you're playing this really long grindy game, you trade a bunch of cards against red and then they might play experimental frenzy and then they might dig themselves out of it. But experimental frenzy has always been really bad against facing down actual pressure yeah um and that's something that that it looked like you're just able to provide really easily yeah basically the play pattern was they play experimental frenzy i play sargon make a dragon mm-hmm. if they don't kill the sargon and the dragon like immediately then it's it's a joke yeah <laughs> yeah so they're they're already like on the back foot from experimental frenzy the moment it comes comes down it's really hard for the planeswalker deck to kind of brick because it has so much consistency Mm -hmm. i mean it was a lot of four ofs heavy threats just ridiculous like 
you would think that Sahili is weak to Chainwaller. But every time they Chainwallered, my Sahili was now at four. Still not, still can't be killed by a lightning strike. And it just continues to make one ones. Why does it make a one one when you play another Planeswalker? But it, it does. <laughs> so what are we looking at for just the format as a whole? What does it seem like right now? What's kind of defining it? Is it really... Like, are we going to see just, like, Planeswalker decks bashing into each other? Or is this deck more of a meta choice? Or is it... What What do we think is going to happen from here? So, the format is not yet finished evolving. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to evolve. And that means we're going to... after this. So, week one, we had um, mono-colored decks destroying mainly just mono-red. Because uh, these, other, these Planeswalker decks were really hard to come up with especially because we've never had a format with this many planeswalkers mm-hmm. um so it's like basically a new archetype so while those were being discovered red dominated then now we too we kind of figured it out basically had a like three of us played it. i think we had a hundred percent win rate against red so now that's kind of figured out but now this this third week would probably be a bunch of mcqs because there's no open mm-hmm. and i would assume that the Jeskai Planeswalker deck is going to start getting dominated by the Esper Planeswalker deck. And I told Oliver while we were playing in the finals, I was like, look, if we both had combined our decks, I think we would have ended up with probably the best version of this deck. Because the the thing that I felt like his deck was lacking was the Sahili Karn package. Mm-hmm. So he could have included that in his. So that might be a great direction to go to. So we're probably going to get some hybrid version of this. But I think by the week after that, if we have another open or invitational, something that people should be looking out for is decks that prey on these Planeswalker decks and then bring them all back. So what what does sort of prey on these Planeswalker decks? What did you hope not to play against? Command the Dreadhorde. Yeah, okay. the, anything going... Command the Dreadhorde goes way bigger than us. So first yeah. of all, we play a lot of Planeswalkers that incidentally die. Um, and also the Explore package is capable of producing X4s, which Zan's deck is actually incapable of killing at all in any <laughs> yeah. capacity. That was the secret. Every time somebody played an X4 against us in testing, I would literally just be like... I would look right at Zan and be like, well... And he was like, yeah... This is never gonna happen. During the <laughs> and and don't laugh because he was right. It never such happened that a bunch of X fours were staring him down. Yeah, right. And it, it was actually kind of funny. I played against Kenta in top four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean top eight, the first round, and he had four bell hunts, and I was so scared that he was just gonna keep him in. And uh, yeah, that he was gonna keep him in. He actually resolved one game one, and I looked at it and I was like, I'm gonna Teferi tuck this. I hope he doesn't realize how bad this card is for me. <laughs> I Teferi tucked it, and then I watched him board it out. It was great. Uh, but yeah, X4s were a nightmare for my dad. Mm. I usually have to like set up Sahili or Karn just to make a bunch of tokens and just block forever. Uh, otherwise, you're just finding weird ways to try to deal with X4s. Yep. Yeah, I remember when I was playing like Jeskai Control in Standard, and my opponents played correctly with their gruel spellbreakers and growth chamber guardians and i just could never win after they made them x4s yeah uh yeah it's a problem for these colors to deal with no for sure and that's why we put lava coils in our sideboard Mm -hmm. accompanied by prison realm um a deck that we were really scared of this weekend was is it phoenix yeah and um they play crackling so we were really scared of playing a deck like that but 
we we soon realized that if you play a Narset, never take it down, which I know Chris is a huge fan of. You're just gonna get a two for one, three for one, and you know their tricks don't draw cards. So yep. ends up being nice. And if you have a Teferi in play, they can't cast Finale. I promise. Yep, it's it's broken. Yeah, so I. I was a little bit surprised going into this weekend that like there was so much buzz around Is It Phoenix. I I feel like, you know, all the articles on Star City and like literally everybody was recommending that people play Is It Phoenix this weekend, and it just did not. It didn't seem to convert at all. Like, what do you? I I don't have a good explanation for why everybody was recommending it, and then for the disparity between everyone recommending it and what actually happened. So the deck has uh, two really big weaknesses that people just didn't talk about. Number one, it can't be monitored. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing, uh, Evan Whitehouse, one of uh, my teammates on Lotus Box, um, and I tested uh, at the beginning of the week was like, I should try Phoenix. And then we jammed the matchup and it was clear, could never beat Red. And so we were like, okay, how can we move forward with this deck? And this weekend, how many red decks top aided? Three. 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 Underestimated. Clearly <laughs> underestimated. And then second was there's a, the Planeswalker decks had a bunch of Narsads. And so Narsad is a huge problem. But besides that, the deck sometimes just doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I played against Caleb Scher uh, playing it this weekend. And I was scared. I was like, wow, uh, this feels really unfortunate that I get to that I have to play against one of my worst matchups this early on. Mm -hmm. And then I just realized that the deck does nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this week, Standard, it was really weird what everyone was talking about, like, to me, because every all the buzz at the beginning of the week was this Esper Hero deck. And then I feel like Abe Corrigan, another member of Lotus Box, made a tweet that was like, so we're just going to put all these expensive tutus in Esper and call it the best deck, huh? And as soon as he tweeted that, People shut up about it. Everyone was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of disappeared right after that. And then, so after that, everyone was like, but Phoenix, right? And I guess we just needed Abe to tweet again and be like, this deck also dies to shock really bad and can't beat the chain. You know, is having such a problem. And everyone would have kind of left that on the wayside. But um, I feel like that's been every deck that's been hyped up. Like, we, we get a day for, like, every deck. And we get Bant Flash and Esper Hero and then, like, this like these green ramp-based decks. And they get all hyped up for a day, and everybody's just pretending they don't lose to Shock. And it's so weird. <laughs> the key is to play Shock. I, I keep playing it. It's really good. <laughs> Great. Shock and Spell Pierce. Yeah, I do love Spell Pierce. But it's, it's still not wrong to play Red. Um, I yeah. think that Red is going to continue. It's, it's the base. If your deck can't beat Red, don't play it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't pretend it's not there. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have bad tournaments. But uh, Jeskai does have the tools to beat it. Um, I'm really happy about that. Uh, shock. You just had to take Shock to the next level. Spell Pierce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really love just the way you put it together with that cheap spell package to go... Because the core of the deck, everything costs three and four mana. So your other spells have to be very cheap. And then to work together with Saheeli that way, it just... It looked like it worked really smoothly. Yeah, no, it was absolutely fantastic, especially in the top eight. I fortunately got to two of everybody, and I, whenever I looked at my opponent's face and I had one mana up, I was like, does he have Opt? Does he have Spell Pierce? Does he have Shock? Which one is it? Kento was just like, I'm just going to pick at random. And he like played, I think he played a hero. No, he played Thief. 
Mm-hmm. And I had the shock, and he was like, God. <laughs> and then, I think game one, it was, I had two spell pierces, and he went like, turn two. What did he, he went thought erasure. I spell pierced it. And then I played the Teferi, he's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, dude, I, I can't imagine sitting across from this and having to try to guess which one I have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so. right. And that's the problem with Esper Hero is it's vulnerable to all of those things. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, Esper Hero was one of the reasons why I decided to play this deck. Um, the testing went really well against it. At first, it was bad, but it was honestly not the way we built the deck. It ended up being the way we played the deck. And the more we played that matchup, we realized if you play a certain way, like if you play like the control deck in that matchup, you're gonna win. Like almost every time okay yeah so what do you mean just like making sure to to Shock. focus on getting removal spells to kill their guys with or? yeah like knowing that killing hero doesn't really matter okay knowing that thief is the most more important two drop and then if they have a one one that one one is never gonna kill you because all your planeswalkers have incidental creatures mm-hmm. so just knowing when to use your shock and how long you're supposed to hold the spell pierce like sometimes you're just like let let so many random things resolve gotcha. like for example there's a time where i could have spelled pierce to fairy and i was like i'm not going to spell pierce to fairy because i'm going to make a sarkin next turn plus an attack and he's he's going to walk into a spell pierce later mm-hmm. and then you get a liliana which sometimes they play i don't know why <laughs> spell pierce is just live 100 percent of the game a lot of the times i also have to give a shout to just the fact that you're running opt in your three color controllish deck <laughs> I, I just think that cutting up from like Esper Control is just absolutely psychopathic. <laughs> yeah, I basically had a conversation with Rossum and Dylan that went along the lines like, I will not play a control deck in this format unless it has opt. And then when this deck, which is not really a control deck, but still close enough, had had opt in it or and I could fit it in, I was like, yeah, this is the right one for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think opt is like a an insane card or anything like that, but I think just... In standard, with a three-color deck that casts five mana spells, like a little bit of card filtering goes a long way to help you actually execute your your game plan. Yeah, no, um, opt. Yeah, opt in this deck was pretty crazy. Um, I mean, in your deck, it's really, making a one-one a lot of the time too. Yeah, so. it's making a one-one. You're casting it off a of mox amber. You're bluffing a shock or a spell pierce. I'm pretty positive about that. I, I like I shocked every turn like every turn one mm-hmm. and i didn't win the die roll that often and i'm pretty sure my opponent was like contemplating playing thought erasure and wouldn't and play a hero and i would shock it and then spell pierce the thing later mm-hmm. and it was just like it just made it so difficult my opponents were just oh, oh. if if ever you play a, a deck like this and you're making your opponent think from turn one about it, like, which sequences did, yeah and it just it allows your opponent to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, if for one moment they doubt themselves, uh, d- like, assume that I have a spell pierce and I don't, their ho- and change their play pattern because of it, because I shocked and I was just going to opt, it's just incredible. <laughs> Did you, at any point in this tournament, shock and not have the opt and just untap again? On yeah. Turn one? My opponent was like, oh, you're going to cast opt, right? And I just didn't do anything. And then they were like, oh, he has the spell pierce. So then that's when... And how many how many of those times were, did you not have it, though, is my question. Oh, how many of those times? Okay, so that happened in my match against Blue-Green Nexus, which I somehow played really late in the tournament because I didn't think it was going to do well because red was mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, but yeah, in that matchup, I just like to shock. 
yeah. all the time. Shaco. Yeah. No one mana spells. <laughs> no, I just do it all. It's so free. It, they're not gonna really gonna kill me with damage. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah, makes sense. Anything else that we want to talk about for standard? Yeah, and and we don't have to talk a ton about standard because we do have to talk about modern, and then we got some spoilers to hit. So, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you got any closing thoughts about where standard is going from here, what you are going to be looking into next, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'm going to be testing when I get back into standard this week is going to be modern mm-hmm. for Louisville. Is probably going to be like a Sultai Dreadhorde mm-hmm. uh, deck, just because it naturally. Uh, does well against uh, these Planeswalker decks. Right, right. We're just going to keep mid-ranging harder and harder until we like hit a breaking point or something. Exactly. It's not Elder Spell that's, that wins the game in the matchup. It's when you reanimate all of them. and Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one of the things allowing us to do this is just the existence of Teferi. So if you have Teferi in play... You can resolve your six mana sorcery. Yeah. Even if you don't have Teferi in play, Teferi in the format is busy making Absorb like completely unplayable, yeah. making it more likely that you resolve a six mana sorcery. Yeah. So it's really awesome. It's <laughs> uh, this is the most fun I've had in Standard in a very long time. No Absorb. <laughs> yeah, I love this. It's great. Uh, I really think that everybody's having to make a lot more decisions. It doesn't matter what deck you're playing right now in Standard, as long as it's not an Absorb deck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a nice. good one. Didn't Rossum play Absorb this weekend? Yeah. I think pretty I, much everybody on Esper can... Oh, did he play Absorb in his... I hope not. He might have. Okay. <laughs> I think he did. I think that Rossum was throwing some counter spells. And that's why I don't know what his result was. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, lo- I love Rossum. Shots fired on Yeah, him, wow. No, <laughs> and, not, not only is... Like, Absorb seeming pretty bad in Esper Control, but generally, like, Esper Control felt like it wasn't able to keep up with the stuff people were doing this weekend. Definitely. I mean, 12 three-mana Planeswalkers. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Absorb is hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> we You would go Sahili, Mox, Amber, with Spell Pierce in your hand, go, and they had an Absorb. Yeah. You love it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well... So, Jeremy, you played some of the same cards that Zan did in his standard deck in your modern deck. For the past two days, everyone has said the same things to me. They've said, hey, congratulations on doing well in the classic. Period. The next sentence. Four Narsets? (laughs) So, I won the classic with blue-white control starring four Narsets. And I had quite a few hands similar to our Keeper Mole, where it was just like, Islands, Field of Ruin, no white mana, a Supreme Verdict, and a Narset. And I was just like, yeah, I'm good. This will be fine. Because there are some boards in Modern where you're just like, you know, I'll look at the top four and find the card I need. And then they'll like have their humans, creatures, and they'll be sad and they'll attack the Narset and I'll put it in the graveyard. And then all their dudes are dead next turn. And there's just no reconciling that they're so far behind that it's crazy town you know (laughs) so yeah blue white control was my deck of choice sort of a saturday night decision um always a good fun experience when you're sitting next to zan syed and he says you should play x deck and you go well zan we own zero out of 75 cards for x deck and he goes yeah, but it's okay. Let's add Narsets. You know? <laughs> like, I, Zan, I guess. But, you know, we made it work. I want to shout out Jonathan Hobbs. He helped me put together 75 for Blood Control. I wouldn't have been able to play without him, basically, this weekend. And honestly, 
He went above and beyond way more than I thought he would. He was like driving different places and he got all the cards in sleeves for me. And I showed up late to the event hall and he just like handed me everything except for like four lands. And wow. I was like, this is what I, I know. I was like, that's amazing. I know. I was like, Jonathan Hobbs, thank you so much. And also, why did you feel compelled to do this? You know, but you know, I'm Question happy. Did you know Jonathan Hobbs before this weekend? <laughs> it's similar, right? I mean, I've had some conversations with the guy. I've said like, Hey, Jonathan Hobbs, nice to meet you before, but I didn't really know him. So just, you know, seems like an outstanding individual thing to do. Yeah, that is, that's going out of his way. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. But right, I had success in modern. I was very fortunate to be on sort of the right end of the modern metagame wheel where mm-hmm. everybody was doing sort of proactive things that were easily disrupted by blue-white control. At the top tables, there was a lot of blue-white control, but my deck was just built to steamroll that matchup. I had way more Narsets than everybody else. And it turns out that that's just the card that mattered. It was Narset and Dovin's Veto. And I talked about that I would get back to this, but there was... So I guess people that play blue-white control in Modern, some of them like really like the deck and they've been playing it for a long time. So they know all these interactions and they're so used to certain things. So they'll be like, oh, this is the Cryptic Dispel turn. And they'll play something and I'll just be like, I'll veto it. And you can just see their face just go like... Well, that's a new experience that I don't like very much because the conversation's <laughs> over and I have more new cards than you. Like, welcome to Jamrock. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just so fun. Like, it was just such a fun event. And, you know, I've never played Blue-White before. Uh, so, you know, kind of learning as I go. But, you know, we killed a lot of creatures. We activated our Planeswalkers until they conceded. And we never went to time. So I don't know what everyone's talking about. This deck's easy. <laughs> <laughs> That that all sounds sounds great. How many card draws did you shut down with Narset over the how like how many of your matches did it feel like that text was relevant? I will say that I felt really bad during the tournament because I had to say, okay, you've put that ability on the stack and I'm gonna let it resolve, but I'm gonna let you know right now that you shouldn't draw you can't draw a card because I have a Narset in play. I had to say that probably I had to say it twice against humans from the, Horizon the Canopy. Main phase Horizon Canopy. I had to say it once against Tron, but I only played against Tron once. And there were probably other times that I'm not remembering where I just had to be like, hey, sorry, bud, but I've had this Narset on one for the whole game and we both kind of forgot about it, but now I have decks that you can't draw a card. So it happens a lot in my... I think every deck in Modern... Oh, I played against Phoenix once and I had a Rusting Piece and a Narset in play. And his deck just didn't work anymore, Chris. He showed me at the end of the game it was two Faithless Lootings and a Serum Visions and he was just like... I don't know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you don't know. It's truly a disaster. No, Phoenix Phoenix really needs to get like like Pyroblast or something like that in Modern Horizons in order to be able to That'd be a good one. To deal with this particular paradigm that seems to be happening. It it was kinda you know, I just looked at him and I was like, Yep, those cards definitely one of them has only text of exile two cards from your hand. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's like pay a blue to scry two, and I just don't think your thing's gonna be able to flip under these conditions. <laughs> God, what a disaster. It was crazy how lopsided that matchup seemed. All my matchups seemed good this weekend, except for I played against Tron and he beat me. Yep. So on Sunday I was ten and one. And Zam was 9-0 and on Sunday, and so we're both kind of arguing over, like, w- which record is better. <laughs> I don't know, viewers, I mean, uh, listeners, it's pretty clear to me. <laughs> I won a whole other round than you. That's I gotta cool. say, though, I would rather be 9-0 and in, a, in an open. Hey. That's... 
It's okay. Um, That's harsh, Chris. You barely have to win any more matches to top eight that open at that point. Yeah, it's true. True. One interaction that I did see that was really cool in your deck was V-Click and Marset. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. So, yeah, I V-Clicked somebody, and they had a bunch of cards. And there, it's often the case when you're playing Control, you have everything sort of locked up. So you just let them keep the cards. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to take anything because they might draw something better with a cast trigger or whatever. So I looked at their hand. I realized that I didn't want to, like, take anything, that this hand was fine. I could beat it with my hand. And then I saw that I had a Narset in play on one counter. I was like, oh, if it's free, I'll just get this card right out of here. Right? <laughs> yeah. Buy that card. You can proceed with your turn. Oh, yeah. Just a casual three mana, three one flying thought sees. Yeah, but in their draw step. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before they can cast it, it was I didn't get it. The I times I've seen it. Thought Eraser cast at instant speed because of Teferi has been really gross. Yeah. So, so I like can an, I can imagine it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean it's a new thing. War of the Spark brought with us, uh, you know, brought all these cool new planeswalkers. It also brought the ability to take a card out of our opponent's hand in the draw step, and they not get anything else. And it doesn't happen once in in this deck because they often play Teferi three a uh, time raveler. And Jace to just bounce the V click back to the hand. And Cryptic Command. And Cryptic Command. You just it's... got it covered. You just yep. thought he's your opponent forever. Forever. Oh. Yeah, that sounded pretty dirty. I I have despised playing blue white control in the past, but I think the slightly more assertive game plan where you're actually like putting some stuff onto the battlefield and, and playing this weird like prison role it sounds a lot closer to something that i can stomach playing yeah uh i didn't know that you were such an advocate against blue white control. oh i despise that deck absolutely <laughs> what what happened to you Why? so you you draw your opening hand yeah and you look at it great and you got a serum visions okay i'll keep it a path to exile all right and a cryptic command this is great and a bunch of lands that and are a blue bunch and white. of lands like maybe two fields of ruin and a and a celestial colonnade or something like so that. so what beats us everything literally everything your cards don't interact like none of your cards interact all against the same deck at the same time you always have something dead (laughs) we're playing modern like i might die before i cast this cryptic command i completely agree with chris (laughs) it wasn't until nar said that i was like reconsidering anything yeah it's just it's just so miserable like maybe we're on the draw we play a celestial colonnade and then they go thalia and you're like well geez i guess i'm giving you a land on turn two so i before this weekend i had never really thought about blue light control <laughs> so my first impression is this great seems great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. seems great seems great all their creatures are dead all the time which is right. so funny to me um, and I still can't beat Tron. So it's basically like I'm playing green black again, except for now I have an enchantment in play that says I can't draw cards. Yep. I mean, Narset is, this is the real deal. Card is very good. And, and I think a huge part of what makes, what would make me more comfortable, more comfortable playing the deck now is that Narset transforms the Phoenix matchup. And that's, that's gigantic. Yeah. Yes, it does. Any other questions about modern format as a whole? Cause right now I'm on page of like... Let's, let's play blue white until I'm sick of it. Well, well, and what are... I know, Zan, you were working on kind of the next iteration of blue white. I know you were trying to find a home... Oh, yeah. Because it looks like we may be looking at sort of a... What's the word I'm looking for? Like an arms race with Karn the Great Creator. Like yeah. trying to exploit that card the best as possible in modern. I mean, I do think that Karn is a, br- a pretty broken engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you uh, a win condition... A toolbox sideboard. Who doesn't love a toolbox sideboard? And I, I was trying it in the blue-white deck. And I really like it in there. 
But I'm starting to find out through the Moto meta is that everybody's playing blue white. And even though it's good in that matchup, you have cards like Dovin's Vita. You mm-hmm. just don't want I don't want to be part of that this weekend. Yeah. Walking um, a four mana sorcery into a counter spell. Exactly. Yeah. But I would be interested in playing four Teferis this weekend. That's for sure. Four little Teferis? Yep. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about playing like a Bellador Guardian Shell. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm so in for that. That sounds <laughs> yeah. exciting. There were rumors at the tournament that there was one that was doing well by, I think, Dan Jessup. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a list and I was, I'm just so happy to see it. I have yet to test it, but it's like 12, well, eight mana dorks, noble, birds, and it's four colors, mm-hmm. like four color Sahili. So it's uh, Sahili's, Teferi, Felidar Guardian, and Narsets. So it's kind of like instead of the oaths from the standard deck, you it, can use your guardians to reset your planeswalkers. You're playing four oaths. Oh, okay. But yeah. but like all you know, they ran like a bunch of like goofy oaths, like the red oath and the, the no, blue oath. Just but, the green oath. And the green oath is broken. Yeah, the green oath seems great. Takes all of those planeswalkers, and then on top of it, you can bounce it with your Teferi. Mm-hmm. That's what that's you can what flicker I, with Felidar Guardian. Yeah. Wow, this deck seems and, like and a Felidar dream. Guardian can flicker to fairy and can reset your Narset. Resetting and... your Narset is a dream. That's, <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah, I've been waiting for something like this since Narset was printed two days ago. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking no, no, about? No, I've been testing the Jeskai uh, Sahili deck for a while now, and I've always just been like flickering, spreading season, being content. Because you didn't have a card advantage engine in the deck. Exactly. I mean, like, we had Wall of Omens. That's not a card advantage engine. Yeah, I was just very sad. I was like, I looked at this deck and I was like, it's going to be playable one day. And I'm, I think... It might be today. today. I think today is the day. Just put some three-mana Planeswalkers in there. Great. A lot of (laughs) (laughs) three-mana Planeswalkers. If you make this deck work, I might come to Louisville. (laughs) It's going to work. It's going to be sick. Like, just think about it. Like... Three mana to fairy, bounce your thing, play Felidar Guardian, reset it, let's do it again. Ugh. You know, that's, that's just, a lot of value. That's, that's two, you get two cards. <laughs> you get two cards, and three mana to fairy comes down on turn two with your Birds of Paradise. It's yeah, it's beautiful. It's broken. I know, Zan. I know you're having a tough time with all of this. So, <laughs> so I think the uh, the list that I saw was playing. Um, What's that green blue coil card? Coiling Oracle. Yeah, Coiling Oracle, and I just want to make that Utopia sprawl. I think that. Utopia Sprawl just easily belongs in this deck. I've been saying for a long time that I do think that the Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf interaction is like vastly underplayed. And I think that like putting it into a deck with Stone Rains and Inferno Titans is like kind of a disservice to what's going on here. Clearly less powerful than what this combo of cards can do. That deck is like modern playable and it's not because of the Stone Rains and the Sarkins. Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we all know clearly because of uh, Cube that Utopia Sprawl is not to be messed with. Right, it's very powerful. Yeah, it is one mana mana acceleration that's almost impossible to interact with. No, definitely. Uh, my goal for this weekend is to play as many of the same planeswalkers as I did this past weekend. <laughs> nice. So Zan, you won the open last week with all these planeswalkers, and now you're here again with just, all these planeswalkers. Just ported this to stand. <laughs> They're the same ones. Right. We changed out Sahili for previous Sahili. Great. We, we turn an uncommon into a mythic rare. We green ponder 400 times in a game, and it all works out. 
Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. <laughs> I, can you can you run a league of this tonight? Can I can I yeah. watch you play it? Hundred percent. Okay, I'm in. I, I have a feeling I know what we're doing when we were done recording this podcast. I'm, I'm psyched for that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. But what I'm also psyched for, and unless anybody has anything in particular they want to say about modern, I'd like to talk about some of these modern horizon spoilers. Let's do it. Modern uh, horizon spoilers have been great. Uh, and so I'm happy to talk to you about them because they have card names like Chiller Pillar. Oh, we are not talking about that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the four mana, the hill giant that turns into a 5-5 five, five flyer for a bunch of snow mana is not quite modern playable. So the thing about it that I think might give it an edge in modern is that it's, <laughs> is that it's called Chiller Pillar. Well, yeah. I hear your point. I hear you, Jeremy. Yeah. But I'm going to go ahead and put the four mana creature that dies to lightning bolt on the back burner. All right, who are we talking about first then? I mean, I'd like I'd like to talk about another four mana spell, another four mana blue spell. Great. Uh, I'd like to talk about Factor Fiction first. Ooh. <laughs> so what do we? So Factor Fiction for anybody who doesn't know what Factor Fiction is, hasn't played Cube, wasn't a, an Invasion block or you know Invasion Odyssey standard Psychotog player. Uh, Factor Fiction is three and a blue for an instant. Reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those cards into two piles. Put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. So if you haven't played with this card, and even with like the hype behind it and the history behind it, the first time this card gets cast against you in cube, at the end of your turn, they tap four and they play Factor Fiction. It is backbreaking. Just... The the likelihood that you're getting a decision wrong when you're splitting the cards into piles because you don't know your opponent's hand, but they get to know it. And you have to make this... Splitting five cards into two piles is like 12 decisions or something like that. So ba- basically, like this is the best four mana instant speed card drawing spell in Magic. And the question to me is, is there space for that effect in Modern? If it were a snow spell... <laughs> called Froster Fiction. Strictly better. Right. Yeah. But as it's printed right now, I was playing blue white and I never had a need for like such a such a raw card advantage spell because all of my planeswalkers were accumulating incremental advantage mm-hmm. that was in some ways a lot better. Um because Factor Fiction is very good, but I've played against Factor Fiction a lot. And sometimes you need literally exactly a sweeper, and Factor Fiction finds you only the sweeper, and it's like kind of a medium card. Even and Narset, that is really good. Like Narset digs almost as deep as a Factor right. Fiction. If and you need the sweeper, Narset goes four deep to find that sweeper. And it costs one less and is Narset. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of odd and bad timing, but fitting in with the theme of this podcast that we're comparing it to Narset and it's not looking as good as it did, you know, 10 years or whatever ago when EOTFOFYL was the was the vogue. Yeah, and I mean I do agree and I don't think this is a card for our traditional modern control decks like blue white. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering if there are decks that are more heavily instant based or have like specific two card combos in them that you know, this feels like a card that is much more suited towards, like, a Blue Moon kind of deck or something like that. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of, like, four mana combo-y cards, like, um... Right, I'm gonna describe the card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, red, three colorless, put a artifact into play, it gets Platinum Imperion. 
Oh, Madcap Experiments. Yeah. So we've had like a lot of combos like that. And this type of effect has not been able to deliver. We've had Gifts Ungiven, which does... Uh, and you reanimate anything for four mana so they haven't had a huge impact but the other thing about this card is i feel as though the the general public has gotten a lot smarter Mm -hmm. and this card used to prey upon a a lot of mistakes but we've been conditioned through gifts i'm given and jace architect of thought to make those correct decisions so i feel like it's changed maybe yeah um, I think you still... This card is a lot harder than either of those cards. Uh, it, I, I think it's it's a pretty egregious design for like gameplay enjoyment because yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll be widely played, but I think it will see some amount of play. You know, Glimmer of Genius finds its way into a deck list every once in a while. Yeah. I think this is just better than that. No, for sure. I mean, Wilderness Reclamation, Soltai is doing... Something in modern. Uh, <laughs> is existing yeah. in modern. Honestly, I, I think that that deck does have potential, you know, yeah, uh, in, in the modern format. It, it might take a couple of new stuff coming out to make yeah. it, to push it over. But, you know, Foff is kind of in, in the ballpark of what that deck could be looking for. Right. I, and I think any blue deck that wants card advantage and for some reason is really not into playing the Planeswalkers, this is going to be the sort of a go-to thing for that maybe that just can't exist because the planeswalkers are too good but yeah at least you can cast factor fiction when your opponent has a narset in play because it doesn't draw cards <laughs> i mean <laughs> wilderness reclamation is kind of like tron in, mm-hmm. in a way you know mm-hmm. so if you do get more powerful instant speed effects i mean we might end up with something yeah i think Foff fits perfectly into blue tron now that you mention <laughs> it that's yeah that's probably true yeah, yeah you blue tron players are gonna be loving some Foff action I'm going to take a hardline stance and say that smartphones kill factor fiction. And the reason is because now that we all get our deck lists on our smartphones, we know how to split the piles. And so, you know, much like whatever else smartphones killed, according to the older generations, according to the boomers, uh, you know, did millennials kill factor fiction? I think we did. Okay. I mean, strong a strong point, but... I bet you we'll see a little more factor fiction play in modern at some point. No, I'm excited. Next is a blue card that's probably going to see a little more widespread play, especially initially. How about Force of Negation? This is one blue blue for an instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Counter target non-creature spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. So we got a free counter spell in modern. Yeah, so like a Force of Will that you're not allowed to use proactively. Unless you're through the breaching on their turn. <laughs> Un- unless you're through the breaching on their turn. But, yeah, Fair. mostly it stops nonsense rather than causing nonsense. Right. One of the main three in the side, every deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's your blue spell count? Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's, they, it's, it's one to the other one. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You have two. I always forget to count your other three forces as your blue cards. This, to me, is very exciting for proactive blue decks especially if you want to tap your mana to do stuff on your turn and then have protection from one giant haymaker thing from your opponent like this is a card that breaks the phoenix v tron matchup wide open i think yeah yeah definitely for sure i think that uh, i'm i hate saying this but 
it pairs well with Narset. <laughs> you find it, you're good. Yeah, I mean, like, you're gaining so much advantage of a card like mm-hmm. Narset that yeah. you, it'd be nice to pair it with. Narset minus find your force or find another blue card. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this makes it much safer to tap out on your turn in modern. Or uh, Narset's too clunky. Pitch it to Force Negation. <laughs> this is literally the conversation we get to have now. I yeah. loved it in Legacy with Force of Will, and now we have Force of Negation. So if your blue card that costs five is your pet card, you get to play it now because you get to just look at your friends and say, hey, there you go. Pitch it to the Force. Well, and I think the neat thing, though, is I, I think it's actually a brilliant decision that they made this part of a cycle because it's not just... In, in Legacy, literally every card that has blue in its color identity or whatever is a little bit better because you can pitch it to force of will but we've got a whole cycle of these forces and it's looking like they're all going to be at least playable in some circumstances and so whichever one you want to play then that's having that force of will effect on that particular color so for example we have force of vigor which is two and two green for an instant if it's not your turn you may exile a green card rather than pay the spell's mana cost destroy up to two artifacts and or enchantments so, I mean, like, good luck, Affinity, <laughs> or whatever, against this card. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm hearing is Stormcrow is now playable in Modern. Yay. I mean, we can exile it to... Exactly. To negation. Basically, every blue card is great against these decks that are doing <laughs> main phase, non-creature spell nonsense. What does the red one do? We don't... Do we know the I red one? I don't think we have the red one. I think we have the white one, the black one, the blue one. What does the black one do? And the, the black one's cool because if you just have three mana, you can counter a collected company. So if it's not your turn, you can pitch a black card to cast it. Okay. It destroys all creatures that were put into play this turn. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that card has... I think it's a little... It's certainly narrower than yeah. the blue one, but it, it kind of also functions like a counter spell, but for specific types of plays. Mm-hmm. Like, it can possibly b- break up a good dredge or phoenix turn. It can, like, get two humans early for no mana, something like that. Is um, it like a black hollowed moonlight? Yeah, but man, it's, it's like that. But it's free, and it's all, it's not just tokens either. So it, Oh, it's just not tokens. Okay. It, it's all... I mean, it's all... Anything that entered the battlefield this turn dies. I thought Hollow Moonlight did it against Rally cards. What is Hollow Moonlight? Once is it? Yeah, maybe Zan. What are you talking about? Hollow Moonlight draws a card. It costs one and a white. This card costs one this black. black and pitches a card. You're wrong. Doesn't Hollow Moonlight specifically oh, about? if it, it's anything that wasn't cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a better understanding now. But right. so, so this this kills any creature that entered the battlefield this turn. So even if they just like cast one guy and you really need to get rid of it, then then I'm you really can do excited it for the red one. What do we? What do, why? What do you think it do does? Do we want to make any speculations? <laughs> force to... of lightning bolt. <laughs> I want force of lava spike. <laughs> A five minute lava axe. We do have one yes. free red card. Uh, we've got lava dart spoiled. Um, so that's red for an instant. Deals one to any target and has flashback of sacrifice a mountain. This is pretty cool for phoenix decks in general. Just is another kind of free spell. You can start your turn with, like, a card in hand and you just sort of, like, faithless looting and you get just this and then you're at three spells. Or if this goes into your graveyard and it counts as a spell. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't know where you find room for this. I think we're back to wanting Gutshot and Phoenix decks temporarily until, like, the Phoenix decks come back. But I'm more interested in beating humans right now. 
and this will probably find homes just as like a multi-spell thing that's very flexible at removing creatures um, yeah. i'm kind of like weirdly really excited about lava dart <laughs> no i i think i think you're justified i'm not excited about lava dart but i could see myself playing it so i'm not gonna knock a lava dart <laughs> lava dart's great lava dart's pretty great we're getting nimble mongoose green for a 1-1 shroud threshold it gets plus two plus two as long as seven or more cards are in your graveyard um what are the what are the odds that this is playable in modern nah pretty low i think it's safe to say the goose is not loose in modern the goose is rather small Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's kind of unfortunate yeah (laughs) it i don't think this is the type of deck that works in modern there's too many creatures there's too many four fours and five fives that just if your three three is your plan that's not a good enough plan there's Gurmag tassiger yeah and you can't like the kinds of decks that would run this card also just want to run become immense and you both can't target this with become immense and also become immense gets rid of your threshold so yeah i saw the card and i was like puzzles i was like no that doesn't that doesn't work can't do that at all doesn't work. <laughs> nothing works the goose is not loose but for the edh fans the new juice moose is getting a boost because he gives all your eldrazi costs five less to cast and they're comboing with joe it's been a great time on my twitter people talking about everybody more on the boundless and other such nonsense these Jota decks yeah yeah it'll be Really exciting thing going on in a quadrant of magic that I don't really pay very much attention to. (laughs) (laughs) Could it make the... It costs seven. Tron makes that on turn three. And then you cast Morphon the Boundless. And And then name Elemental and cast like a Horde of Notions. There you go. Great. We're doing it. And they held up Veto. Yeah, and you just cast a bunch of creatures. Idiots. Great. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm in for the Juice And then Horde of Notions has haste, so it kills their Narset. We should maybe... Stop doing this. <laughs> Probably. This isn't a great bit. All right, it what's the next card? Uh, next card is Ice Fang Quattle. I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this card without any of the context necessary to evaluate it. So I figure we should do the exact same thing as that. <laughs> so this is green blue for a 1 1 snow creature, snake, flash, flying. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Ice Fang Quattle has death touch. As long as you control at least three other snow permanents. So people were talking about this. It looks like due to the particular dual land cycle that was spoiled, we probably are not getting any sort of snow duels in this set. So you're really going to have to have like three basic snow lands in play for this thing to have death touch and be a strictly better Baleful Strix. That's, that's a hard ask. That's a really hard ask. Yeah. I'm... I really like this card in the sense that we're pressuring Planeswalkers. A 1-1 Flyer in Modern isn't nothing. You know, Lingering Souls is a perfectly fine Modern card because it is that Modern's not really well formatted to deal with the 1-1 Flyer. Uh, So a 1-1 Flyer that draws a card and gets Death Touch sometimes isn't the most embarrassing thing. But the fact that Snowlands almost have to be basic, Mm -hmm. even, you know, I'm kind of not looking to put this card in any Modern that could exist right now. I agree. It's just not fast enough at doing what it needs to do. If you're casting a, a two-mana 1-1 one, one guy that gets Death Touch at some point, I really want it to have Death Touch at that point so it can block a Hollow One or whatever. Like that That's what it needs to do. No, definitely. I think this is also the first time in Magic history that the, the Claws draw a card has lost value. 
because <laughs> of Narsa. This has Flash, though. You do it either. You get to draw the card on their turn. Okay, that's that's something. So th- this is... But they also have a new Teferi out. So oh, no, we're locked. You're screwed. <laughs> yeah. None of our cards do it. That's my, that's my plan until everything gets banned. Just play all the three mana yeah. Planeswalkers. Play every, every card format. from War of the Spark. Yeah, it's also... Uh, I'm pretty sure... People have said this on Twitter that uh, War of the Spark might have might affect modern more than Modern Horizons. At the very least, it looks like we are getting back to back like two of the most powerful modern sets that modern has ever seen. Yeah. What's the next card on the list, Chris? Uh, so this next one is Seasoned Pyromancer. Although I believe we will just be calling it Old Pyromancer anytime that it's actually relevant because it's it's actually the same character as Young Pyromancer, but grown up and really just like not caring if his shirt covers like any of his like parts in front (laughs) but actually that is one thing that is super cool i know we mostly talk about strategy and spiky stuff the concept of this set is that it's kind of time spiral too Mm -hmm. and most of the cards the cards that aren't reprints are mostly throwbacks to like older ideas cards that are beloved and and it's really cool like time spiral when it first came out, you just every card you looked at was like a reference to some weird old card. And since a lot of them were references to like antiquities cards and stuff, I actually had to go look them up to figure out what was going on. Here, these cards are all referencing cards that I've played with a lot. So like here's a card that is shouting out to Young Pyromancer, a card that I've played with plenty. Um, but this is and, and I, I just think that's a that's a really cool concept. I love Time Spiral and I, I really love the idea of this set. So this guy is Seasoned Pyromancer. One red red for a 2-2 human shaman. When Seasoned Pyromancer enters the battlefield, discard two cards, then draw two cards. For each non-land card discarded this way, create a 1-1 red elemental creature token. And he's got three red red, exile him from your graveyard to create two 1-1 red elemental creature tokens. So it's just this kind of... Slightly expensive, three mana is a lot, but he can add a lot of power and toughness to the board potentially, and just also when you don't have, when you have fewer than two cards in hand, you actually go up cards from his ability. Um, If you pitch lands, then you're making your hand better. If you pitch non-lands, then you are actually providing a pretty serious board presence. Uh, The fact that he's a creature is kind of cool because this sort of effect is a thing that like Vengevine decks desperately wanted. The problem with the Vengevine decks, a huge problem with the Vengevine decks, is you could only run four Faithless Lootings, and you almost always wanted to discard at least two cards from your hand. Right. And Insolent Neonate is not enough when you have a Vengevine and a Bridge from Below in your hand. Yeah. Um, Biggest problem with the card, of course, is that it costs three mana. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem like a powerful card. Yeah. uh, But it's kind of this unique effect that we haven't really seen before so it's so hard to evaluate like yeah. we don't know where it goes or you know <laughs> right. when it's going to be good um it it's something that i'm looking forward to testing for sure but yeah yeah you know. potential it's got potential i want to try it in dredge because i think it's a powerful card in dredge because i love the sequence of discard and then draw in dredge mm-hmm. and creature count matters a little bit in dredge that might be something we're looking for with like bridge from below and that type of thing you really want to play more creature spells if you're discarding dredgers you get one once of course those are lands yeah i mean that's really cool yeah yeah for sure i mean if you're saying dredge i gotta say hollow one yeah i mean this one. this looks like it it has some application at least 
or at least some potential in pretty much all of those like graveyardy creature decks. It adds a thing to them. Um, and even if there's a rest in peace in play, this might just be four, four power and four toughness worth of guys, and that can be enough to win a game where there is hate going on. Kind of a good hedge against rest in peace, right? Like maybe these decks are playing this card, which maybe not be as strong as some of the other elements, but post-boarded, wow, it's a lot better than Cathartic Reunion because it does something instead of the re- Cathartic Reunion, which is, you know, if you have a Narset and a Rest in Peace, what does Cathartic Reunion even do? Right. Right. Even if this is costing you a bunch of cards, at least it's a 4-4. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying this in basically all of those Jund-colored graveyard decks. And it may be a little too slow, but hopefully, you know, one of, the, one of our big hopes for Modern Horizons, it's that it's going to do a good job of slowing that critical turn of the format down a little bit so you don't have to be just like jamming everything out there to try to kill your opponent as quickly as possible and maybe we can play a little bit more of a grindy value game i really relate to this card because i feel like you know young pyromancer kind of grew up and got worse <laughs> and as we all have yeah, like we all do so this card is you know very emblematic of our generation and how we feel um nice. i don't really know how to segue from that <laughs> into this dual land cycle which is going to be the last set of cards that we talk about but dual land cycle that we've got for this set are just the five enemy colored horizon canopies crazy that's wild yeah. right yeah huge impact i think yeah I'm probably going to revisit Green Black because now four of my dual lands might draw a card when I really need a removal spell. Mm-hmm. It literally becomes my just one more turn. So I'm of course. I mean these cards are gonna go index. Yep. No brainers. Yep. Yeah, the the one in particular that I'm pretty interested in, and this might show my like bias in modern, is the red white land because <laughs> dude burn it makes burn cycle? so much better. Burn can cycle a land? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Really crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This is the deck builder's paradise that I did not wish for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's gonna be so much you know this house is going to be really working on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to be like, oh god. These lands are interesting, and the fact that we have access to so many. I mean, they do push you to be playing a deck that wants like a relatively low land count, whether that's by just having cheap spells or having, you know, other engines you know i'm thinking particularly like horizon canopy is so good in humans because at some point like you just don't need your lands anymore right. anything you draw you can just put into play with an ether file right and in particular if you don't really care about the fact that you're taking a damage or two off the land over the course of the game then it's that much better so you know like control decks are not as interested in this sort of card but maybe i mean there's a blue red one and Maybe Phoenix wants a couple of these in it. Phoenix is not delighted to take damage off of its mana base all the time. So that's that's actually kind of a, a big question. But these lines are obviously insanely good, right? Like, they're just all going to see a ton of play they're in all, various they're places. They're all going to see a ton of play. Yeah, yeah definitely. They're and not, not every deck, right? Like I said, green-black, but green-black hurts itself a lot. So it's going to really feel these pain lands. So you might not even be able to play as many of them. And, and green-black also really likes having four plus mana right a lot of the time yeah so you know green black was my first thing i said but even that's like not necessarily but i mean 
they're paint they're 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 yep. horizon canopies yeah. like right this, this card is not up for debate it's yeah not, these cards are stellar i mean i might be on board with collins on this one i mean r- red white uh burn seems like a great place to be week one i mean burn right. needed a boost like yeah. it hasn't been able to hang for for a while i, I feel like <laughs> yeah it's true what Ramanat ruins didn't do it for you, Chris? You could shock them if you had five if or six lands. Five in lands yeah. and are already dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Ramanat ruins didn't didn't quite do it. This is this is where really gets the blood pumping for a burn. I think. Yeah. I the the percentage increase I think of like any deck that I can think of in modern is it has to be the highest for burn. Mm-hmm. It's just you know it's exactly what burn like thinking of all the play patterns of all of the games that I lose. Yep. I'm always like. All right, there's my fifth land, and that's it, right? But now <laughs> I can get another shot. This probably also has. So I can draw my sixth land, and then that'll be it. <laughs> I bet a couple of these are going to find their way into dredge as well. That ability to dredge an extra time and also get them back with life from the loam and dredge yeah. with the land you get back from life. Like cycling lands and life from the loam are a time honored combination. Yes. And this uses a land drop to do it, but that's still a really powerful effect. For a card that is more or less free for a deck like Dredge to run, taking some yeah. pain off of your lance and your creeping chill deck is. Yeah. is I can see running like one or two to have that access to that engine. People have run cycle lands before yeah. in Dredge, and that's you know become less popular as the deck has gotten more tools. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll yeah. see. I, I think the fact that these lands come into play untapped and are dual lands. I mean the the lands that you can run in dredge are already really tight like it's yeah. hard to change any of those slots but... i mean it has to be better than dakmore salvage <laughs> it's definitely better than dakmore salvage <laughs> might be better than dakmore salvage i mean dakmore salvage is in there for if you are not disciplined about when you mulligan and how many lands you make sure to have in the hands that you keep and i don't i think that it is correct to not run Deckmore Salvage and Dredge if you're going to play the deck properly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But I mean, I think it'll be now and like now and still in that you just can't play it. Yeah. 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 This is definitely a better option. Yeah. I mean, these, car- these lands are just going to kind of be a perennial part of modern going forward. I don't think that's up for debate. I would suspect so, for sure. Um, any other spoilers? That we haven't gotten to that we should talk about. Did we talk about Goblin Major? Oh, we didn't. I put that on here. Yeah, Goblin Major. Goblin Major. That's kind of cool. Turn uh, red, 1-1, one, one, Goblin. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a Goblin card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Yep, it's Goblin Tutor. Yep. Legacy staple. <laughs> really good with Ether Vile or other mana engine type of things. Yeah. Right. I, love, I love me some Goblins, and I've always been kind of sad that uh eight whack has been like the only goblin deck that ever not ever tried in modern it's and not now we get to try really. <laughs> some other stuff legacy goblins was always this really sweet value deck that had some busted draws but had like a lot of play to it and that's not like eight whack is not doing the goblins no. thing no, no. i mean we, we have cons here we, we know which tribe is gonna win <laughs> <laughs> we're also just part of this tribe (laughs) yeah i mean it's true like it is hard to keep up the goblins did get a kind of sweet removal spell it's no gem palm incinerator but they got and i'm forgetting the name but it's black and a red for one one when it enters the battlefield deals damage to target creature planeswalker equal to the number of goblins you control um it's a pretty powerful card for those creature on creature type matchups 
I do have a hard time seeing goblins really competing until it gets like a card advantage card at the level of goblin ringleader to yeah to really encourage you to put the deck together in the first place no for sure and it still lacks like i mean the way we see a a lot of modern is heading in a direction where we might be having combo decks Mm -hmm. and i mean in legacy i've seen these goblin decks play dahlia Mm -hmm. so you have in order to get a good goblin deck you have to get away from its tribe i don't think I don't think we're going to ever end up in a spot where we're going to be like, yeah. And in goblins. Legacy, the Goblins deck gets to run like Wasteland and Port to fight the combo decks with, too. The yeah. secret, the actual reason that that deck is playable yeah. in Legacy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> not, it's not the flashy not, part of the it's deck. It's not Goblin Matron. Yeah. I, I, hate to, I hate to spoil it for I people, mean, but... you're right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're not there yet with Goblins, I, I don't believe. And Goblin Matron is not getting us there. I mean, we probably wouldn't even be there if it was merfolk matron you know like merfolk wouldn't even make it so <laughs> i don't think goblins is gonna make it everybody in this podcast speak for yourself we are goblin kind <laughs> <laughs> heir to the mountain empires of chieftain's past and i'm i don't know i put some goblins together see if it works i mean you know it's not good but like what can they print we have sting scourger um, yeah, bounce a thing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's what Teferi does. Right. Teferi's great. Teferi's great. Yeah, but after bouncing a thing, Teferi draws you a card and then sticks around in play. Stingscourger demands that you pay four <laughs> mana to keep your 2 2. <laughs> Goblins aren't about thinking about next turn. It's Chris. true. It's Goblins very are about ability. Yeah. Oh, we also did get a cool variant on Ball Lightning. Um, I don't think we actually know the name of this card because it was spoiled in another language, but it is, I believe, red, red, black for a 6-1 haste trample, uh, sacrifice at the end of turn. When it deals combat damage to a player, that player discards two cards. So the the old bull lightning. Bull lightning. Bull lightning. <laughs> Likely to not see any play. Likely to not see any play, but it's really sweet when you hit them with it. It's cool. Take six. You discard two cards. Got him. Get wrecked, idiot. You know, that's what my thought is all about, is clearing up the way for Bell Lightning. <laughs> Bloodbraid so, Elf, cascade into Bell Lightning. It's over. Probably doesn't go into any sort of pure burn shell, because burn does not care about the cards in your opponent's hand that they're not able to cast. Uh, the bruise that I've seen with it so far, people are really excited to hit it off of Bloodbraid Elf, which I get. I'm into that concept. Yeah, I'm attacking you for nine right now. And then you're gonna have to discard your cards. And this game also before everything that has happened before this has been complete Christmas land for me. <laughs> yes. I got to thought seize you on one. I destroyed your creature removal spell. Then I played a Tarmogoyf in my tapped land that was raging ravine, and now I get the blood right up into bull lightning. You are wrecked. You lose. Those days are just over. No, I didn't cascade into fatal push when I'm the only one with creatures in board. That didn't happen. <laughs> but it was part of our sequence, so yeah. you know it's in there. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. There's a removal <laughs> spell, but I didn't hit spell. it off the board. We're only playing assassins, trophies, and lightning bolts in our deck, though, so we can hit only good things with with bloodbraid elves. All right, hear me out. Yeah, all lands, mm-hmm. bloodbraid elves, and bull lightning. Okay, yeah. We just get there eventually. <laughs> um. Yeah. Unlikely to be super playable. It's like living in. Especially if there's lava darts and gut shots in the format. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, dude, I'll get rid of my mountain. You got me. You stone ranged my mountain. It's turn four. I'm gonna untap and kill you. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. And I'll firebolt your Bloodbraid Elf. I've just literally got my Modern Horizons draft deck with me, and it's completely wrecking <laughs> <me>. <laughs> <laughs> Completely demolishing you. So, I want to talk about the Evolving Wilds that gets on tap basics. Sure. Um, just because when there's a new tool for mana bases, it always really intrigues me. For example, Unclaimed Territory came out, and I was all about that when it first came out, because I was like, wow, Merfolk can finally play green. And honestly, I think that humans can just play whatever color it wants, and that ended up being very true. Um, so if there was a two-color like combination that wasn't quite getting there, for example, something like uh, red-black decks, I always like, kind of leaned heavy on the black cleave cliffs, and then you kind of had to be one color more than the other one. Something like an Evolving Wilds that gets an untapped basic is not a terrible or embarrassing card. I think that this is going to be a tool that deck builders who are making good two-color mana bases are going to use. I think it's very good in like Legacy Miracles, for example. Um, yeah, just, that's also really true. Like It can get either Plains or Island. It's, just, it's kind of just more flooded strands for the deck. Yeah, that's- it feels really good with Blood Moon decks generally because now you're, you know, it's just a really good card with those decks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I can't think of any direct applications just yet, but it it's really cool. I really like it. Yeah, I think it's a good design. You don't want to talk about five mana pondering mage. I don't. Jeremy's ready with the five mana pondering mage. <laughs> so I do want to talk about this quite hilarious naming convention of a creature that does something a legacy spell does. Named that spell. And then the thing that the creature is. Right. It's a cabal therapist. You know, or just whatever. I mean, yeah. You're right. I think that that is so... I'm not making up what the name of that card is. It's, it's literally pondering called Pondering Mage. Mage. The picture is a wizard it's holding three moons. Ponder. Right. Yeah, it's, that's what the picture is. He's casting the art of Ponder. Yep. Any speculation on any more spells that are going to be stapled onto creatures... Here's the thing that bothers me about Pondering Mage, is that the original printing of Ponder was not three moons. The original printing of Ponder was Merfolk wearing like a really thin bra that you could definitely see a little bit of nipple through. Of I course. I don't understand why Pondering Mage is not casting that version of Ponder. <laughs> He's just looking at a picture. <laughs> yeah. Because Merfolk is dead, as we discussed earlier. Wow, Zahan. Yeah. We're trying to make things a little more PC for, you know. <laughs> Pondering Mage becomes... I appreciate the effort. I appreciate that, like, most of the skin that we've seen in this set so far is buff old Pyromancer. Season yeah. Pyromancer just yeah. looking shredded good. and good with, good. like, confidently showing skin. I'm in. I'm in for that. Uh, Magic's moving in a great direction for that. And I just think that... I want to see more of that from this set, but I also think it's like somewhat laughable and hilarious every time it pops up so far. Cabal Therapist and Pondering Mage have me literally like doubled over laughing at at different points today. Just like, like, what? Are you serious? That's what we went with? What a, what a, what a feat. What a feat. This is just the world we live in. Yeah. Chiller Pillar, Pondering Mage, format's great. I love Chiller Pillar. Chiller Pillar. Killer Pillar, honestly, is very cool because it's doing that time spiral thing of taking two mechanics from wildly different worlds and sets and just bashing them together. Monstrous, snow mechanics. Easy. Done. We got a card. The set is stylish. It's got cool appeal to it to be honest that's kind of the we led on chiller pillar and it was a joke then but why are why am i thinking of chiller pillar? but it's a great design yeah, right I agree. yeah it's, it's w- elegant it's a great common like 
certainly not going to see modern play, but oh, it's no. a great part of the set that helps build what the concept of the set is. And if your friend's freaking out, you can just pull it out of your wallet. Hey, dude, take a chiller pillar. Great. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. People are going to love me after this. Oh, second. God. <laughs> you ever show me that card? I can see it already, Zan's like, I am not going to take a chiller pillar right now. <laughs> We do know that Zan is just a notorious tilt monster. Zan just can't rein in his emotions. He's completely losing control all the time. Zan's a mind reader, so he literally would be like, oh my god, this last round, Jeremy, do not give me chiller pillar. And I'll be like, dang it, I was going to. No, for those of you who haven't actually met Zan, Zan is, Zan is decidedly not a tilt monster. And I'm not you. sure that I would ever have to hand him a chiller pillar. Yeah, cool. So I think that's probably all that we really need to talk about today. Um, thanks so much to Zan and Jeremy, the Lotus Boxers, for joining us. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I would like to plug the Lotus Boxers YouTube channel. I want you guys to uh, smash that like button when you get home. Ooh, comment, subscribe no, on Lotus. Absolutely Bo- not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do encourage you to subscribe and like, but there will be no smashing of buttons. Smash the like button on this when you podcast. Get home. You know, we're growing right now, and I kind of want to talk about sort of, I think the, the four of us at this table, um, we've all kind of made sacrifices to get into this house and, and sort of get in this spot together, but... If you're following the Grindcast, then you're probably also following the events of we've all moved into a house together. And ever since then, we've just been, I mean, right, we've been taking these things down. That trend is not an accident. I think we've all made sacrifices to get here. Our goals, right, as stated, are just become the best magic media. I firmly believe this is the best magic podcast. I believe that our content is the best. I really do. I really, I listen to a lot of them, and I think this one has... A lot going on that just makes it the best one. I think that our YouTube channel is growing and we're working on it. And our goal is to make it the best, you know, magic YouTube channel. This house, you know, represents such a big vision for me. And I think we've all made a lot of sacrifices to get here. And so I'm just saying if you're listening to this, then, you know, there's there's more to come out of this house. You know, out of Champion Oak, whatever whatever you want to call it on the podcast. Um, so I'm really excited. Probably to plug. should give out our address publicly on the podcast. That's of probably course. the thing that we should be doing. You haven't lived with me very long, but our address is going to end up places that you <laughs> are going to be very surprised about. about. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's just true. That's yeah. So you know, I I think that if you're listening to this podcast um, and you're not paying attention to what our house is doing, despite the fact that we've been exactly on the forefront of the curve of both of these opens and almost every format and you just heard about like the next best modern deck that you've ever seen (laughs) right like start paying attention like the four of us are doing great things and you know i kind of want to take a second to say that on the podcast i'm confident i mean our our goal right now personally i feel like our goal is to work together really hard and it's been a joy for me to sit here in this room where we have all of our computers set up and everybody is jamming moto and arena and i can just sit and like learn stuff from all the conversations and all the gameplay that's going on and the more that we iterate and improve and keep trying to crack these formats the more we're going to share it with everybody who is listening to our podcast and watching y'all's videos on youtube right of course team lotus box but you know We've plugged it a million times, so I feel confident in that. Um, but like, like we are definitely co- kind of going on a journey here, and uh, everybody who's listening to this podcast, I uh, like really appreciate you joining us 
on this and we're going to do our best to like bring you the best stuff that we possibly can of course i think it's going to be worth it for the for the viewer and you know i believe in this group of four that we have to be honest soon to be five soon to be five i can't wait i can't wait i'm so excited i've inter i you know do people know who it is yet is it still a secret i don't know what is not public or whatever I, I think it's a secret so i'm not gonna say it but i've interacted with this person a lot i interacted with him a lot this past I weekend i think it's time to say it no <laughs> i think it's time to say it uh, collins do the honors uh yeah i mean we're we're very excited that evan whitehouse is going to be coming down and joining us in this hey. house and uh the time keeps on shrinking at first i thought it was a couple of months from now but now i hear it's a couple of weeks from now so yeah, three-ish weeks it's be great um, maybe less i think we probably actually invitation. mentioned that evan was going to move in on the i think that we did before, less so this is week. this yeah. is not really breaking news. okay uh, great <laughs> but i can't wait i can't it's the robot himself you know it just i had the joy of spending time with him this weekend watching him play magic watching him gather all of his belongings in the exact center of his chest and move to the feature match area with well well completely analyzing everything i cannot wait he's gonna bring you know we're just gonna be so on the next level of magic content because that guy is hilarious yeah evan evan is a spreadsheet magician yep and helps organize testing in ways that you would not believe um yeah no, 100%. I mean, I don't think Abe Corrigan, even myself, would have had as much confidence as I did at this past tournament if Evan didn't verify things with the numbers. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he quickly discredits all the wacky ideas I have very uh, with numbers. He's just like... And that allows you to have wacky ideas exactly. and not, like, develop them and not waste time on the, the ones that are bad, but still, like, keep that part of your brewing process. Yeah, 100%. And I'm super excited to have him part of be part of this house he's already part of team lotus box and uh yeah we um just looking forward to him moving down cool well we will keep trying to bring everybody the just guy planeswalkers of the format as as often and as quickly as possible so yeah keep listening and we will we will keep doing our best thanks to everybody so much for tuning in for checking us out um, if you would like to lend us some support, you can go to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or you can go straight to our website where we have links to our Patreon, to Collins' coaching services, to all of our old episodes. Um, if you want to give Zan and Jeremy some support, they've got, you've got your YouTube channel, YouTube Lotus channel. Boxers. Yep. Um, and Lotus Box has also just started a Patreon, right? Yep. yep. Team Lotus Box has a Patreon, uh, and uh, we post our deck list right before every tournament. I just posted a sideboard guide for Jeskai Planeswalkers. So, so like anybody who was on there literally would have had Jeskai Planeswalkers the night before this open. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, you can also find us all on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Collins on Twitter at Collins Mullen. You guys are both on Twitter. Yep, at Zen underscore Save. At Mox Jeremy. And I guess that's pretty much it for us. Thanks again so much. And I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, thanks for having us. See ya. Peace.